Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm Alan Seals, and your guest is Anna Villafagne. She was discovered when she was still in high school in a production of Cats, was signed before her 18th birthday, moved from Miami to LA, ended up coming to New York, was scouted by Gloria Estefan, led the Broadway production of On Your Feet. Just this incredible story. And and she's still so young. I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. But before we get into it, find me online on Instagram and Twitter. Leave me a rating and a review. Hit me up in your stories. Let me know you're listening. Find past episodes at thetheaterpodcast.com. And everybody, please enjoy this episode with Anna Villafagne. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Today's guest was named one of the New York Times 30 Under 30 and has been honored by the National Hispanic Foundation for the Arts for trailblazing Latin representation in entertainment. She originated the role of Gloria Estefan in On Your Feet and starred in the hit musical throughout its entire run on Broadway. Her TV credits include Mozart in the Jungle, South Beach, New Amsterdam, and Younger, among many others. She is now helping to usher in the return of Broadway, starring as Roxy Hart in Chicago, the musical. Anna Villafagne, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited. I also like, I was listening to you just say all those things and I'm like, wow, it's so weird that that it's true. <laughs> it's like still <laughs> Well, let's, let's, I think that's a great place to start. Let's dive in there because I, you were discovered when, uh, when you were in high school in a production of Cats and in, in the, in the today's day age of social media and whatnot, uh, you you sort of I guess um, don't hear a lot of I'm uh, oh, just walking down the street and this person came up to me and offered me a contract and made my career like that doesn't happen anymore but it seems like it sort of happened for you and you're still very young in the grand terms of the business and yes you have done a lot and you're very fortunate so walk me through how it all started. I mean, wow. Well, it all started really by, I guess, me. I was a kid with like a lot of energy. Um, And I started painting, which then I started singing. And then when you're nine years old and can belt like, you know, a lot, um, you you dive into musical theater. Um, So I, I did my first musical when I was nine at a regional theater in Miami and it was a complete like just after school activity you know some kids play soccer some kids whatever and so my my parents had a friend who who is a professional actor and he convinced them to let me audition because he knew that I could sing and so 
that was it. I kind of learned that you can become somebody else and tell these stories and embody or, or inhabit another, another human's point of view. And I just like fell in love. And that show was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And um, you were Joseph, obviously. <laughs> obviously, no. I was like in the, you know, how they have like a like a children's chorus. <laughs> yes, yes, I remember. So, so I was like wearing a teal T-shirt and khakis and working in fourth grade, and like my school went to see the show on a field trip, and I was like, I can get used to this. I like this. This is this is good. Um, I was kind of a nerd. I was a very sick kid, so like it gave me something that for the first time my classmates and like my peers at school would see me as something other than the sick kid or the like girl who couldn't run in PE or the girl who, you know, would miss school a lot because she was always at the doctor. And so I um, found a lot of power and strength in that. And I just held on for dear life. And I think I still do. (laughs) So it's a, that was the beginning and the end at the same time. That's awesome. So then you continue, I guess you're continuing with your middle school, high school and whatnot. And and like, what was the discovery process like? Because Dolphin well, Entertainment. Yes. I was, so I, I go to a, I went to a school, a high school that my parents made me go to. They didn't let me go to the magnet school for performing arts. Um, and I was forced to go to this all girl Catholic high school run by nuns, just like my sister. And I was determined regardless to keep performing. And so I would do shows in school and out of school. I remember like my mom would like shuttle me between rehearsals for the school play and like a play on the other side of town and all these things. I was a part-time student my freshman year working at the same theater where I did Joseph as a kid. Um, So I always like my priorities were always already kind of falling into place. And then senior year, we didn't have a theater even in my school. It was, we would use the cafeteria. There was like a stage in the cafeteria. It was a yep, I had one of those. Auditorium, if you will. The gymnatorium, um, yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, very, very fancy. <laughs> uh, and we did an all-female production of Cats, you know, unitards and all. And I played Grizabella. And little did I know that then my first manager was in the audience and they had me come in to audition for a lifetime movie. And then they flew me out to LA and I got signed immediately. And, um, and so then I moved to LA without knowing anybody on the West coast. I was 18 and I moved over there right after high school and I started working and it was just like the hustle of every Taco Bell commercial ever. I was killed by gangs on like every procedural or I did an, Amer- an America's most wanted episode. as like one of the reenactments. I was the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, doing, doing all of the things, um, pretty much just trying to, trying to make it happen. And then I heard about on your feet. Well, I had already graduated from college. I got a degree in opera. Um, and one of my friends, who's a news anchor in Miami, she was covering the open calls because they saw like thousands of girls around the world to find the, you know, to cast the role of Gloria. And um, I received this phone call from my friend Laura, who was covering the audition. And she said, you really need to audition for this. So I tell my then team and, and they were like, well, you're not a 
Broadway girl. Like you don't have a BFA in musical theater. You don't, you, people don't just roll up to Broadway auditions. <laughs> I really feel like it's calling me. Like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it to you. Like I'm, I'm not vain enough to be like, trust me, I'm going to get it. But I said that to them. I was like, get me in the room. I can't explain this to you. It's, 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 I'm being magnetically drawn to this for some reason that is way bigger than myself. And, um, and historically I was right. (laughs) Um, because then it was actually seven years ago yesterday that I, via Stefan's, so the production flew me to New York. I auditioned exactly seven years ago yesterday for Jerry Mitchell, had the callback exactly seven years ago today and got the job today, um, September 30th of 2014. Wow. Do you, do you consider yourself an empath? Oh yes, very much so. I'm like a little sponge. I feel everybody's feelings and too much. They call me, yeah, my, my family always makes fun of me for it. I care too much about everything. That's that's always been something that I that I personally have struggled with, and only in the last couple of years have I be, really been like, you know what, this gut feeling that that is like nagging at me. I'm I'm gonna stop trying to analyze it because I have a highly analytical mind, and I want to stop trying to analyze it, and I want to just let the feeling happen. And that's really strange for me. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened though for you with with on your feet. You're like I. I just got to do this. I'm being pulled to do this. Yeah, fully. And and then it was the, the matter of of diving in and trusting trusting that I was enough because I'm also very much an empath, but also like the imposter syndrome is is very real. Um, and I think you know I'm somebody who I really believe in like work work ethic and all this stuff. But at the same, but it's it's like who am I to be in this position, especially with when I did get on your feet and when I did move to New York and I didn't know anything about New York itself as a city, but also about like the ins and outs of, of the Broadway industry, I had a lot to learn. And like day one of rehearsal when they're like, who's non-equity? And I was like, I didn't know what that meant. So I was just like, I, I mean, I'm just here because I got this job. Like, but it, it was a very, it was like a crash course in all things um, Broadway and in all things legit theater and, and just like the ins and outs. I mean, I remember when I when I came to New York for the audition, um, Lynn had heard about me because of the On Your Feet audition. Um, and they were casting Hamilton at the time. And I get a phone call from Bernie Telsey's office, from the casting office for On Your Feet and for mm-hmm. Hamilton. And they're like, Lynn wants to see you. And I was like, who's Lynn? <laughs> And so I, that, that little guy, he's done a few things literally. And so then, and I was obsessed with being in the Heights soundtrack at the time, but again, I moved to New York in the Broadway schedule. So it's not like I like grew up. I didn't really grow up with like a family that came to see theater every year, you know, like it was like not the way. Um, so I, I learned a lot very quickly and was expected to be a star in this like in, in, in this community that I've always idolized and wanted to be a part of. And like, you, you almost don't believe that that can happen to you and then it happens to you. And so then I cut to moving here and, and having 
this incredible fairy tale of a job and this responsibility and so much to prove as well. Cause like, you know, then you have like the feeling sometimes that who is this girl? What is she going to mm-hmm. do? Like, is she actually going to be good enough? Um, and so it was, it was uh, amazing, but a literally life-changing experience. Well, uh, yeah, obviously. And I guess you're coming to New York for the show and not previously, I mean, it, I've said on the podcast so many times here that that Broadway actors are the Olympians of theater oh, because 100%. <laughs> you have to do you have to just throw yourself in it's mind and body and eight shows a week etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So coming from LA, coming from not a rigorous performance schedule beforehand, did you struggle with with the eight show schedule like at a basic level? So I think because I had no point of comparison and no time to think about it, I didn't. Uh, it wasn't until eight months into the Broadway run. So after Chicago, after everything, um, I didn't call out until eight months in when I injured my voice and was just so burnt out and like, you know, firing on all cylinders and again, the expectations and then any day off was press and all of those things. Um, Social media had like kind of just become like a bigger deal. So like I was, I was just, I, the concept of rest was not a thing. And since I moved here for the show and didn't have other friends or anybody really to ground me or to center me, my entire life was the show. So I would be on vocal rest and then only speak pretty much either as Gloria or about playing Gloria in press. Um, so Anna became less and less and less and less existent. Um, and, and it, and it took eight months of, of that schedule and that grind for my body to kind of shut down and psychosomatically, like my voice was just like, nope, you need to, you need to take a step back and you need to remember that Anna needs to exist in order for all of this other stuff to exist. So it's interesting now going into leading a Broadway show for the second time, but understanding that like, and not waiting until an injury or until it gets difficult to take care of myself. So like, I'm very, very disciplined now from in a different way, not like kill yourself, run five miles and then go to yoga and then go to the theater and then never leave the theater and whatever. (laughs) A little neurotic, um, but more in a balanced way where it's like, make sure you eat, um, acupuncture, vocal health. Like don't wait until you're injured to see an ENT or to do all these things. Um, so I, I'm a lot more empowered because I know what I'm doing. <laughs> but it wasn't, truthfully, I, I always describe it as like, if I'm pouring out from myself, like if I'm a glass of water and I'm pouring out, the thing about loving what you do is that it pours back in while you're pouring out. So it's hard to tell when you're tired even because the adrenaline and the feelings and you know, every time I'm, I, if I'm, if I was tired or even still, and I think about if there's one person in the audience whose life you could potentially, or day you could potentially change just from doing what you're doing. Um, and what a privilege it is to get to do what we're doing. It's that kind of regenerates the energy for me. And, and that's why I'm also very careful, especially as I've gotten older, what I say yes to, because I don't want to set myself up 
to burnout or to, you know, like I always said with On Your Feet, for example, I was singing 17 songs per show and I was never like now in Chicago, there are three times in the show that I can go to the bathroom. That is wild to me because (laughs) it was like, you can't even think straight because it was, you're on stage the entire time. Uh, I think there was one scene that I was not on stage for. Um, So so it is a little bit different and it's a little bit more balanced, but I didn't, ha- I didn't know the difference. I didn't, it's almost like it's perfect for them, for producers and for the Estefans. It was kind of perfect that I had no point of comparison because I was like, Oh, this is super normal. My entire life is dedicated to them. Um, and if I didn't love them and if I didn't love her and respect her, it wouldn't have been sustainable. Like that, one of the best lessons in my debut being on your feet um, was that it can't be about me. And so the going into it with that sense of humility, where like, I am genuinely, my role is to honor this human being who then became my friend is um, that kind of also added to the equation where it, where I was able to like subtract myself enough and surrender to the, to the show. Did you ever talk to Gloria about what the ultimate, was there an ultimate moment where she and the other people in, in charge of casting were, were like, this is it. Like, Anna is the one who's going to represent me and here's why. Because I feel like if it was, you know, if you were telling your life story, you would want the person playing you on stage to be so special. It's, it, you know, I, I mean, I've never asked like what it was that, that made, because they, they, they have been extremely uh, kind and generous and love, like their family, you know, and they tell the story all of the time. And so I can't even like, I can't describe how many times we've been, whether it's in press or at work or at a dinner or like just bottles of wine deep that we're just like hanging out somewhere. And they'll just tell a story over and over about how, as soon as I walked out, they all turned to each other, the entire table. It was like them in the middle and then all the producers, the entire creative team, Jerry Mitchell, Sergio Trujillo. Um, you know, it was so scary. And they all just turned to each other and was like, yeah, it, it was like that. It was apparently a hundred percent clear. And she does mention one moment where in between scenes, I put my hair in a ponytail. Um, and that she watched it and was like, that, that is the person, which I don't know, of, of all the things, mind you, I'm like, it wasn't my voice. It wasn't my talent. It was my ponytail. <laughs> oh, but she always talks about that. And then, and then she did say, and she chronically for seven years always reminds me and says that it was written in the stars. She's like, this was, this was meant for you. And then, and then the show closing when, when I, said that I was going to leave was, was almost like validation of that. Wow. Wow. That's, that's so interesting. It's, it's, it's acting in in general is very much about listening and about Mm -hmm. reacting. Right. So I, I, it's interesting that it was the act of not speaking, not performing that was the moment for her because it was who you are. It, yeah, it's, it's maybe, maybe it's like that. I go back to the empath to empath sort of thing, right? Yeah. It's just like sort of 
who you are spoke to who she is. And she was like, oh yeah, okay. Like there was that moment when there was no wall, when there was no performance, when there were no nerves and like who you are, this came through. Just putting up your hair. So I totally, I totally see that. I can see how that worked. Yeah, I can too. Now that, now that you put it that way, I can too. Because I always like laugh about it in my own mind. Um, I do know that with Jerry, the day before, so for the initial audition, my my only question was was whether the songs, some of them are as a concert and some of them are true musical theater like storytelling um, to to like move the 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 book forward. Um, so in terms of like the performance of them and. And I remember him being like, that's a really smart question. And I was like, well, it completely informs how I'm going to sing these songs. Like, if anything for you is me as an actor singing anything for you, like story-wise, like a musical theater, then that's one thing. But if I'm performing in a concert, that's another thing. And so um, so that was a distinction that I remember was like quite, quite a game changer in terms of the audition room itself as well. So I, I'm going <clears> to... <throat> I'll change gears slightly here because as I'm as I'm observing you and how you're presenting yourself and talking about all these things, you've you've got a uh, it's so cliche to say to say the old soul, right? <laughs> but you you've got a, a, an air of of humility. I want to say because you were saying you were belting when you were nine. You said <laughs> that, and all of a sudden, you know, Grizabella and Cats, and in, you're surrounded by talent, go out to L.A., still go to college, which is amazing, and then come out in and are leading a Broadway show, having almost no professional theater experience, and then you're still asking, like, well, how do I approach this? And And you don't, and you have the work ethic to not want to call out for eight months, or and all this stuff, and so... I know you're the youngest, or not youngest, you're one of four, right? You're in the middle of four siblings? Yes, I'm the second right. of four. Second of four. So is is it your is it the family life that kind of instilled this this attitude on you? Or where do you think you get this attitude of just being like, listen, I'm here to work and I'm taking it seriously, I'm gonna take myself seriously, because being being who you are, most kids your age, most people your age, you're not a kid, mm -hmm. most people your age. Would just be like, oh, I'm just gonna go out and drink all night. Whoa, I'm living in New York City, right? I do that too. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I think my moments. Um, you should have seen me on Tuesday night. Uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, I think it's a mixture of things. I definitely, you know, I've I won the lottery in terms of parents. Um, grandparents, support system, family. My sister, honestly, <laughs> she'll be the first one to be like, get it together, get your feet on the ground. Like she'll, she will put me in my place fast. <laughs> um, but also I think, I think culturally there's something to that. I think the work ethic, my dad came from El Salvador when he was 16. Like, you know, when I think of like the American dream, I think of him, I think of my grandfather who's from Cuba um, and my mom who grew up here, but always, um, kind of yearning and representing the Cuba that will never exist anymore. Um, I think, so I think the immigrant experience definitely informs that as well. I also just think I'm, I'm, 
I've always been like mischievous. Like I love to like prove people wrong or like surprise people or even surprise myself, to be honest with you. As I've gotten older, it's less and less about other people and more and more about like, wait, I can do Fosse? Okay. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, so like it's, it's, it's fun to think outside the box of my own, I guess, limits. And then that's the last piece of the puzzle for me, again, goes back to growing up as like a sick kid. I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when I was seven years old. So I was confined to a wheelchair a lot as a kid and, you know, had to be homeschooled sometimes and uh, was hospitalized a lot. And like, there's no way that I can like approach life and just take it as like complacent, just if, if that makes sense. Like, so, so it's almost like being a performer is almost like the only option for me because A, I get mm-hmm. it all. I get to experience so many things um, and B, it is a never ending challenge and a never ending kind of surprise party of a career. And that's kind of how I've always lived. Like I, I growing up with like just the set of circumstances that I grew up with. It's um, it has lent itself to a mentality of like perseverance and enjoying things for what they are also like, yes, because work, hard work is important, but like I, at the end of the day, like, I just want to get in bed and be like proud of myself and, and happy. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Well, I want to acknowledge uh, and take this opportunity for a second because you're on stage now, eight shows a week, Roxy <laughs> Hart doing Fosse, and and have uh, have this diagnosis. Uh, was it junior rheumatoid arthritis? Junior rheumatoid arthritis, which junior. might be only and also dates me because now it's called now they call it something else in term in the world of pediatric rheumatology. But um, but yeah, I've had it since since I was seven years old. So every day, I mean. I take my medication, I give myself my injection every 10 days and, and we make the best of it. <laughs> well, so what I was going to say was that not all disabilities are visible. So I want to take this, this opportunity for everybody listening to say yeah. like, not everything you can, you can not see everything that people are going through. Um, but uh, do you ever like with the, I was going to ask coming back to, to Chicago and Roxy Hart. Um, and you mentioned like, oh, I'm doing Fosse now, which is amazing. <laughs> um, in telling me about your history, dance wasn't a part of it. So how did this come about? And you were like, wait, me, Chicago, that's dancing. I, that's not me. Was, did you ever go through any of this? Um, so you're like, you're like, screw it. I'm, I'm in, I'm all in. I don't care what you say. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, it's like I have like the soul of a dancer. I was <laughs> so much, but like I was like, you know, I have this body that's a little faulty sometimes, and whatever. And it took many years of therapy and of figuring out that I'm not this like damaged good, right? And so um, I always felt a freedom when it comes to music in general, right? And dance because I came from a place as a child of like not being able bodied all the time. Um, I have almost like a very, very deep 
respect and admiration for it that's almost like otherworldly. Like I can just watch dancers move and cry. Um, and I do <laughs> often. So, <laughs> so I think that there's an element of that um, where I just really, really appreciate movement and and dance in such a deep way because I have I know what it's like to not be able to use my legs or my body um and something happens and I can't I speak about this at like especially I do a lot of work with the arthritis foundation and for kids with chronic conditions and I meet performers and I meet their parents and they tell me that like they've heard me say that something happens sometimes where like being another person, playing a character, going deep into the psyche of somebody else, like the, the escape from what it is that I was going through as a kid, especially, was a very big therapy for me and a very big healer for me. Um, and something about when I'm singing or when I'm dancing that sometimes I, I, I like forget that I have this condition and that I have this pain or this like mobility issue. And, um, and that's, and it's, Something that I've found, and I, I want to get more into like the research of this, because I've, I've heard other kids say that when they've heard me say that, they're like, yes. And I've had mothers cry to me and, and fathers and, and people say that, like, that they've heard their kids say that, but that they kind of like, you know, like, how do you believe that? And it's, and it's true. There is something, I think there's such a like otherworldly sanctity to the arts that can transport you and transcend reality in that way even if it's just for a second and dance specifically has always done that for me and I was not a technically trained dancer because how could I be as a kid um but I love dancing and I love music and so for me it started more like Latin dancing and so when I moved to LA I would go every single Monday night go just social dancing and I wasn't good. I wasn't doing all the spins. I wasn't like, you know, fancy, but I can move and I can, and I can let the moment take over me. And like from dancing with different people, I would learn more and more styles. And I actually got really good at it. Cut to on your feet. And I was like, Oh, I can do this now. Like, and so, <laughs> so, so again, one of those moments where like, like you're surprised by your own capacity, but then having Sergio teach me and not, hold me to a lower standard because of my, you know, because of my physicality. And, and I, and I was frustrated and I was like, I can't do this. And I can't compare or compete with these girls with Nina Lafarga, Tenare Vasquez, Marielis Molina, these incredible dancers. And he was like, I am going to hold you to this standard because I know that you can. And that was Sergio. And then now having Greg Butler with Chicago with these nuanced, different, very different type of dancing. And David Bushman, our dance captain, who was like, go take a ballet class. So I've been in bar classes. I've ordered my little ballet slippers and like, and, and I can try and I can, I can learn and I can, I can imitate. So like as much as I'm not a technical dancer and I don't know all the terms and I can't spin and whatever, give me the time and I will, I will put it in. Like I will find a way to, to do it. Um, and they've given me the opportunity and the tools that I needed. So it's, it's been really, really special to be honest with you. That's, that's so much fun. I, I enjoy hearing stories about, uh, I mean, uh, about how the arts are like transporting. And I've said at the beginning of the pandemic, like we need to bring the arts back it, because the art can, arts can heal and they, yeah. they are a unification factor. And there's so much that happens 
<laughs> it's kind of funny that when all the essential workers, right? What what's the first thing everybody did when when we were locked up in quarantine? We went to TV and movies mm-hmm. and music and artists, actors, yeah. and then yet the arts and the artists were the last ones to be recognized as essential workers, if they yeah. even still are. But right. that's that's just my soapbox. Well, what you think about the fact that this the you know the art form itself, like even let's just even say theater has been around for ever, you know, like, and there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like we wouldn't still be here talking about this if it weren't integral, in my opinion, to the very fabric and fiber of society. You know, what's, what's very timely that, that you bring this up is, um, do you know, do you know who Ben Folds is? Yes. Yeah, of course. So Ben Folds has a podcast called Lightning Bugs. And the, one of his recent interviews I was listening to with Bill Shatner, William Shatner. And the, both of them, highly philosophical, deep, deep thinking kind of guys. And Bill says, like, so think about who, who created music. How was music created? Like someone had to invent instruments and realize that you can put a reed in something and it vibrates and makes a noise. And like, I'm going to kill this cat and take its gut out and make a cat gut instrument. And there, there's people, like, where did this all come from? There is an inherent need in our brains to tell stories. And then someone at some point said, let's put this to music. But what is music? Okay, let's invent this thing and call it music. Yeah. I think that kind of stuff all the time. Do you really? <laughs> because I think about it, I'm like, I, I like, why am I not thinking to myself, oh, why don't I blow into this random thing and see if it makes a cute? It's <laughs> <laughs> a musical instrument, <laughs> like strumming. Who thought to put strings on a on something with a hole? You know what I mean? Like there are mm-hmm. so, it's so incredible. Yeah, it, it's just the conversation they were going down. It's it's so much fun because they were like, well, what was the first instrument? You think it was like people doing vocalizations? Was it acapella? Was it singing? Was it percussion? There's probably a little bit of percussion and everything because it's easy to bang on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can bang rocks together, bang sticks together, and all of a sudden you've got a rhythm. And Bro. yeah, that whole that whole fascinating that that conversation was fascinating to me. I love that I'm not alone in this way of thinking. Yeah, I was <laughs> yeah. But then the the ability to tell stories actually. Uh, when you're listening to a story, like right now, we're looking at each other, you're leaning in, there's body language, there, mm-hmm. there's, an, there's a physical interest in the conversation. And when you're telling a story, when you're listening and engaged in a conversation and listening to a story, there's chemicals released, the happy chemicals, that make you bonded to that story and bonded to the group and bonded to, to uh, everybody telling the story. And yeah. so that's why I, I've said it before that, that I think there's um, an amount of a light trauma that you that you get um, that you go through to put up a show, especially a Broadway show, because it's it's long hours and it's hard and it's strenuous and you might be uh, emotionally tired because of imposter syndrome or nervous for opening night or what you know whatever the case is. You could have stage fright. You could have panic attacks in the middle of your solo. This happens to everybody, and all of this uh, bonds you to your casts and bonds you to the stories and then overall bonds you to the art form all at the same time you are presenting you and your cast as a unified entity are presenting this to a room of strangers taking them on a journey they didn't know they needed to go on (laughs) yeah correct (laughs) 
Correct. <laughs> so when you are on stage now, I mean, so you've got you've got kind of um, two sides of the same coin. So you've led a show uh, that was an original, and now you're coming into Chicago, which is a staple of American theater. Literally. In- international theater, too. Yeah. So are you approaching Roxy differently? Are you, are you um, I guess, because Chicago was already a well-oiled machine. Right. How was this experience different from your previous experiences? Um, well, it's different because I, because I, I was starting new where a lot of, where most of the company is not. There are four of us who started new. Um, and who have been added into the pre-existing just alchemy of the group, right? So, like, we have, like, our, like, little group text. Like, we call ourselves the new kids on the block. <laughs> and, like, and I'll be like, we need a meeting. Or, like, on Sunday nights before the final show, we'll, like, have some champagne. Um, but it's, it, so that's been, that's been interesting because, like, you want to fit in, but you also want to bring what you are bringing to the table, um, and respectfully and without stepping on anybody's toes and, and you're learning the politics and all the personalities and whatever. And also, again, as an empath, these are people who were forced to leave their job for so many months that for me, it felt like a, um, a calling to be a grounding or at least to help ground the experience because I didn't have a pre-existing relationship with the space and with the theater. I have it with like the concept of any theater. So like, yes, I wept when I got on stage the first day, but it wasn't because there's memories attached to it or because it felt mine in any way. I very much felt like, like a guest at like a very important moment. Like if, you know, somebody invites you to their house for Thanksgiving that like you want to bring a gift and you want to be respectful, but you also want to eat, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, so it's, it's interesting to be, especially I I take very seriously the the idea of like, um, of leadership within these very uh, beautiful families that get built for a show. Um, and I think that comes from Jerry actually, because when we started on your feet, we were out drunk one night in Chicago, during our, our out of town. And he said to me, he's like the fish rots from the head down. Mm-hmm. You are going into something where it's not just about the notes. It's not about the choreography. It's not about five, six, seven, eight. It's not about the lines. It's not about the press. It's not about a red carpet. It's about the group. And you just remember that that standing at zero comes with its with its own different set of responsibilities. Um, and and I and I took that to heart because he's a great leader. And so I was like, well, I want to make sure that I that I do that justice as well. So um, so I'm applying that more than anything to Chicago right now because. These are people who are, I mean, so well established in this industry. People who are so incredibly talented. People who are older than me. People who have families and kids and, and, and you know, and who have been with the show, some of them for like 10 years. And there's such a rich history to that. And I respect that because I understand what it's like to be with a show for a long time. I understand what it's like to like 
for that to be kind of your, your, your life. Right. So coming in new, it's, it's given me the opportunity of with my own freshness and my own perspective and my own energy to, to help facilitate them coming back to work. Like that for me has been like a big part of the puzzle because like I, I can understand, listen, if on your feet had still been running and the shutdown had happened, I would have been inconsolable, <laughs> inconsolable. Like I would have been a mess during this entire pandemic situation. Um, so I can, I, I know what that's like or I can at least imagine what that's like. And so being part of it and from, again, a leadership position, but being new, it's, it's that negotiation of like, you, you tell me, I am the new one, but I'm also going to show up. Is there any amount of, of what am I doing here that's going through your mind too? Because there are so many people that have that have been part of this legacy. And now you are the latest to add your mark on the legacy that is this show. Like, this is Broadway. This is the pinnacle. So you are playing a lead of a staple that has had so many amazing people come before you. You know, do you, how often do you look back and you're like, holy shit, look at where I'm standing? I mean, at least once a day. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty... I, I, the word is not even superstitious, just, I would say aware. Um, and like, even in my dressing room, like there are moments, like it sounds super weird and like hippie or whatever, but like, I will thank Anne ranking when I leave. Um, I like it is, everything is the shoulders we stand on. Right. And mm-hmm. I attribute a lot of my outlook on that stuff to, Andrea Burns, who played my mom in On Your Feet, like she was always very, very, um, a a very good mentor in terms of like that mentality of like respecting the shoulders we stand on. Um, and, and I am a product of that. And I know that, I mean, look at, I'm, I'm standing next to Bianca Marroquin playing Velma, who played Roxy for like 20 years off and on. And because she did what she did, I can do what I'm doing. Because I know that, you know what I mean? And again, it goes back to even the Gloria of it all. Like I, it, it really takes away from the ego when you can look around and say, look at all of the people that had to do this before I get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and like kind of giving homage to that and then, and then letting that be part of where I get even the energy. Because it's like all of their work allowed me to to even think about dreaming about this. Like even the the 10 year old girl, the nine year old girl doing musicals in Miami, that is all because of all of these people who have done it first. Um, So it exists for me because they made it. And so now it's kind of like my turn to make it exist for other people. I love that. And in addition to all of this, You're still doing TV projects because (laughs) it was announced recently that you're going to be in the remake of Night Court. This is true. Which I I want to touch on before before we wrap up because I watched Night Court when I was a kid. I watched the original. Well, of course. I I watched reruns of the original. Right. I'm not not that old. And, (laughs) but, uh, come... First of all, I didn't know that they were bringing that back. So amazing. I can't wait for that. But when does that start? Are you going to be able to juggle both 
theater and the, t- and the TV filming? Oh, yes. That is very much the plan. Um, it is kind of amazing to be able to be at a point right now where, again, right when I got back from shooting Night Court was when I got the offer for Chicago. So it's like very, very... Oh, it's already I, shot. Huh? You're starting in the can? Well, the pilot. Okay. Right, which was shot in July. And um, and it's wild because John Larroquette, when he... So he's coming back to the show. Like his character... It's because it's not a reboot. It's technically like a sequel. Mm-hmm. And he... Um, the first day that we met when we were on set uh, at, on the Warner Brothers lot, he was like... We had like some downtime and I was so starstruck mostly because of the movie Richie Rich mind you because he played the villain in Richie Rich um (laughs) but I was like I didn't know what to say to him he's this like icon and um and he turns to me he's like where did you live when you were on Broadway and I was like I cannot believe that I have that in common with this man first of all like it, it like all the walls kind of came down and I was like I felt so like validated and seen. I was like, first of all, why do you know that I was on Broadway? Why do you know anything about me? Um, and second of all, yeah, no, I lived in Midtown. Like we were just like talking about about our experiences on Broadway and like what an incredible truth. Like how like I think about my life and like to your point even a little bit ago, like it is very I'm still like excited that this is all happening. Um, I hope I never get to the point where I'm just like, oh, well, you know, just another day in the life. Like, I, I'm still like, oh, yeah, we got into the club. Like, you know what I mean? Um, so it's all very exciting. And just like to be able to say that, yes, I'm, first of all, starring in my second Broadway show, which in, in and of itself would have been enough. Um, the first time would have been enough. And then to also have all these other projects and all these other things that I can't even talk about yet like, that are that are happening and that are real. And it is very, very much a, um, a humility pill, but also like a gratitude pill uh, because I, I didn't, I keep surprising myself, I guess. And, um, and that, and that feels good. It's very, uh, very, very yes. And yes, 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 just take what comes at you. Exactly. Take what comes at you and do it to the best you can, and then people are going to notice. And and uh, the advice I always give when asked is: be the person people want to work with the next time. That's and that is a fact. This is such a an under like that is it, it's it's almost not talked about enough. Like people want to work with people that they want to work with. Like, and if you're not good in the room, it doesn't matter if you can belt a high Z. Like that's not that's not the important part. The important part is that we're we have to be in it together when you're in a studio, when you're on stage, because things happen, things happen. And like Lilius White recently <laughs> started um, in her announcement at the top of act two, because like mama kind of like reannounces that the show is back and mm-hmm. need to kind of like hush in their seats. And so she's added, um, turn up your cell phones and like stuff like that. Like, like, you know, like it is a very human industry and I think gone are the days where like the stars act a certain way and have this mystique and like this air of, of, of just like, I don't know, ego and whatnot. Like it's, it's not about, it's not like that. Um, 
And more and more, you're seeing the emphasis be on the whole human. And that's what gets the job. And that's what secures also your career because you can get a job and then never work again. If you have a bad reputation or if you like, you know, we're like a pain in the ass to work with or whatever. Like, it, so it really is the whole human. Do you think that's because of, of the accessibility of social media? Or is it something else? I think there's more accountability for sure due to social media. I recently got an email. In fact, when, when it was announced that I booked Chicago, I got an email from a producer um, who I've never worked with, but, um, but who, you know, is an acquaintance, like a, a work acquaintance through the world of it all. When you go to these events and you see the same people and whatnot. Um, and then I did a reading with this producer, I want to say in 20, 2019. And it was great, whatever, it was a play. And he sent me this email that was so bizarre and congratulating me on the role, but then going into how like he made, he's the one that made the phone call for me to do that reading and that he didn't feel like I was showing enough gratitude or that I should have been a little bit more um, grateful. I'm like, first of all, my gratitude is, I was grateful, but I also, the best way for any actor to be grateful is to show up on time, show up with integrity, show up prepared, do their job. But I don't owe you anything else. I don't owe you to go to drinks. I don't owe you to go to dinner. I do not owe you anything other than doing my job. And your job is to make phone calls. So if you're upset that I didn't do enough to thank you, you are part of the problem. And so, and so it's interesting because I think more and more accountability is really important. And I think more and more people are respecting themselves and demanding respect from employers. Um, You know, you look at Hamilton, the cast, making sure that they were getting compensated for, for their work. Um, You, you look at all these reforms that I hope are, are really going to land um, in terms of representation, in terms of just the whole, the show must go on mentality. I'm very, very proud because the Weislers have been listening. We had breaking bias workshops, um, during the rehearsal process for Chicago before reopening nice. we had a workshop with where producers wanted to listen to past and present cast company members, um, on how they can do better. Uh, and one of the biggest things was like the work-life balance and whatnot. So they, they, and they are really, I'm watching, I'm watching these changes happen in real time. Um, and I'm watching people really try to be the best that they can be. And, uh, and I think that's huge. And I think that that's the only way that we can move forward, right? Like there's no going back to normal. There's not even a new normal. It's just, we have to keep evolving, Otherwise, we're staying stagnant and we're st- and there's no growth. Like I think that as an industry, as we individually do that, we are also collectively doing that. And I'm and I'm proud to say that I that I am actually noticeably like seeing some noticeable differences. Do you hear that? It's that's the sound of the mic dropping. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and on that, let's wrap up with the three standard closing questions I ask everybody. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? Purpose. Ooh, I like that. Like he said it too. It's very introspective. <laughs> what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? 
Um, trust. Um, you don't always see from the beginning why something is happening or how something is happening, but the clarity on the other side, um, I would just tell, I would tell myself to just trust a little bit more because I think there's a lot of time and energy that I spent with a lot of anxiety and which is warranted and human and fair. Um, but, but yeah, just to trust. Mm. Last question then, hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm on such a Hadestown train right now. Uh, I'm obsessed with Hadestown. Um, It is my, I think it's my favorite show after Rent. I guess I would say Hadestown. Beautiful show. Oh, it's so good. I want to re- I want to see it again. I have to text Ava because I really, really want to go um, the following week. But yeah. Mm, okay. So where can we find you online on social media? Social media. So on Twitter, I'm at Anna V A A N A V E E. And then I, but I recently, like, I forget I have a Twitter, like until like two in the morning and I just have so many drafts. (laughs) (laughs) Things you wanted to say one day. Why would I say that publicly? But just all these things, like, for example, last night I drafted a tweet that I did not send because I was laying in bed and it was two in the morning and I couldn't fall asleep. And I was just thinking about the fact that my dad growing up in El Salvador had a pet raccoon named Ringo Starr. But that's what I was thinking about. So anyway, so that's Twitter. (laughs) You should make your Twitter feed just like, here's what I'm thinking right now. That's just that's your profile bio. It's just, all this is, is what I'm thinking right now. Just non sequiturs, random thoughts. Yes, yes. Um, and then on Instagram, uh, Anna Viafania Official. And I, I, I don't know that I want to teach myself another app. So I, I don't know about TikTok, to be honest with you. I'm like, girl, leave that to the children. Leave that to the young ones. <laughs> I'm not on TikTok. I I don't know. All right. You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you are listening. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And thank you to Anna for the lovely conversation. Thank you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.